Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Rebecca Wildbear, who is the author of Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. She is also the creator of a yoga practice called Wild Yoga, which empowers individuals to tune in to themselves and the mysteries that live within the earth, community, dreams, and their own wild nature, so they may live a life of creative service. Rebecca has been leading wild yoga since 2007 and also guides other nature and soul programs through Animas Valley Institute. Rebecca, we have a lot to explore today. Let's jump right into this and welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to dive in. Absolutely. So here's one question I love to ask folks when they're on the podcasts, before we really delve into your professional journey, can you describe your journey thus far in one word? Mm. Growth. Oh. Tell me more. Oh, I just love learning and growing. I always have since I was young, just been ever curious in terms of just learning things. And then also more personally, in terms of how I can grow as a person and evolve myself to heal whole, uh, connect with my soul, connect with my muse, live my purpose, um, and then expanding out. How can I be, you know, like a forest, like a tree? Like how can I learn to be an offering that that gives and, and nourishes and, and helps the world uh, grow and, and evolve? Thank you so much. Love that. So Can you take us on a journey of your history, your initial connection with nature, the point of disconnection with your body, and the diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and how you took the steps to embrace nature again by being a wilderness guide, developing as a yoga practitioner, and by finding balance and learning how to listen and get reconnected with your mind, body, and spirit? Sure. Thank you. As a young person, I played in trees a lot in my neighborhood. I just lived in a suburban neighborhood, but at that time it, there was still a lot of green spaces and I there was a whole lot of trees, even giant big trees in my uh, small yard. And so I was always climbing in them and I was always going to wild places when I can, you know, the wildest places I could being outdoors. And um, when I visited my grandparents in Barnegat, New Jersey, which at that time was still a rural town with the Pine Barrens and lots of wild places. Uh, so I I was always in love with being outside and definitely it was the place I preferred to be as a child. As I grew in school, you know, school became important and getting good grades and I was encouraged to, you know, there was a lot of homework. I went to a Catholic school and then I became more encouraged to just get down to work and play less as I think a lot of people are. And uh, in high school, I had a social network and social life became important. And I was into the theater and acting and just learning to to engage with people and 
And then when I went to college, uh, I was, um, again, I was taken a little bit into nature because I, I went to a college called Western Marin College, which is now called McDaniel College, which was out a little bit in the direction of nature, but still very, very into academics. But I went to summer camp in the Catoctin Mountains in Maryland and being all summer out in the mountains working with people with disabilities just reminded me again how much I just come alive in nature and I prefer being in really wild places. At that time, it was one of the wildest places I've been. So I started to reorient and then I got cancer. Um, I was a philosophy religious studies major in school as one of my majors. And so I was always asking questions about God, but I was, I was a doubter. I was the kind of person that I need to experience it. I need to feel it. I can't just read it and believe it. So my cancer was kind of an experience of the sacred in me and in the world. It changed uh, my understanding of what I felt myself to be and what I felt the world to be. And I was able to, to see that there is like that the holy lives in me and there's a whole mystery to it that I don't know, but it's definitely there. And I was also able to see the world that way too, instead of all the things that I saw that, you know, were hard to see it in. I could, I could see. And so it just re reoriented my whole life. And when I got well from cancer, I began uh, spending more time in nature and also studying practices that brought me close to the sacred. I mean, I felt it when I was with cancer, but once I, once I got well, I was expected to sort of move again in, in the culture, like have a job and, you know, just all the things that sort of bring you into the mainstream cultural rhythm. And so I was searching for something else that I had discovered while I was ill, but there wasn't many places, you know, where I could tap into that. And it took a long time to find uh, a places where I could go deeper with it. I became an outward bound guide, um, mm -hmm. which allowed me, I went on a 50 day outward bound course and became an outward bound guide. So I knew the wilderness wasn't at the center of it being in nature. And it always has been for me. And when I was 29, I found the Animus Valley Institute where I learned to talk to nature and listen to dreams and court my soul and then live my soul. And then I became a soul guide. And that allowed me to do the sacred work that I had wanted to do all this time and to do it in nature, uh, not just be a wilderness guide per se, taking people on trips in nature, but actually having people relate to the depth inside themselves, the wild depths inside themselves and the, and the net wild natural world outside and, and be in relationship and uh, grow together. And then um, I created Wild Yoga. There was an aspect to that that I wanted the body to be more involved in the conversation. I've been a very body person, especially since having cancer. Like my body is a is a guide. It, it spoke to me when I had cancer and it, it speaks to me now just as much as dreams and nature. And so I studied also a lot of body practices. I studied Hakomi and embodied meditation forms. And I also studied yoga. I went to Costa Rica to study with my teachers, Don and Amba Stapleton at Nassar Yoga Institute, uh, where I studied for many years. And then I eventually became on their faculty and helped them teach programs and started to do some wild yoga programs through them. And then some wild yoga programs in other places and wild places in nature and started to develop my own thing, wild yoga, which incorporates um, a lot of things I've learned from my teachers, Don and Amba, and a lot of things I've learned from Animus Valley Institute but also more things because I study other things that bring me alive. And one of the other things that I've been engaged with is earth activism or how do we defend the earth and how does our wellness and the wellness of the planet, how are they linked? And so how can 
our actions and the messages that we get from nature and our dreams and our bodies be sourced in helping us also uh, help the planet be well and act in a communal way beyond just an individual personal growth journey, a, a community of people that comes together. Yeah. Wow. What a journey. And I love the evolution of that and how you went through something in regards to what we all go through, like exploration. How are you exploring the world? And yet then you had an illness, which again, you did some internal exploration and also some exploration of the world of how do I understand my journey? How am I understanding my sole purpose? And so I love that. Tell us about your book, Wild Yoga, a practice of initiation, veneration, and advocacy for the earth. Well, I take people on a journey and it's a journey with me. So I share a lot of personal and vulnerable stories of my own journey amidst the teachings. And at the end of every chapter, there's also practices uh, and a yoga pose. So ways the reader can engage and have their own journey by reading the book. In many ways, from being a guide for the last two decades, I wanted to create a book that would allow readers to have similar experiences they might have on a program, but just by reading the book and uh, engaging with the practices on their own. And we go through a journey. There's three sections to the book. There's uh, wild section one section two is i call it holy longing and section three is beloved world so wild is kind of a lot of healing and holing and rewilding ourselves like i call healing and holing in relation to the earth because i think it would be impossible to fully heal and whole without having a relationship with you know our our great mother that we're made up of that we all come from so uh, a lot of the practices, uh, the first chapter coming into our bodies, you know, our culture teaches us disembodiment. So there's a lot to just coming back in and listening to the body. And that's the first chapter. And, and chapter two is how do I have a deep relationship with the earth? And I, I start with the basics. Like, so if you're, if somebody's reading it, who even doesn't have any relationship at all with nature can, can really begin. And we go from the basics to, you know, really conversing with nature and being able to talk and listen. And, and then the third chapter which is about the heart flowing in your heart waters to to be awake and alive. Our hearts need to wake up our hearts, you know, shut down in relation to trauma. And there's so much trauma in the world and in individual lives that it's hard to keep our heart open. And, and uh, this chapter is about kind of undamming our heart. And uh, the fourth chapters are called feral female ferocity. One of my favorites. <laughs> and that's about um, just, you know, calling up our ferocity as, as a good thing too often. I, I hear people saying, oh my gosh, I'm I'm angry and uh, I wish I could just, you know, I don't know why I'm like that. I should change that about myself. And when I listen to the stories, it's clear, well, you know, there might be a good reason you're angry and maybe your anger is telling you something. Uh, There are, you know, lots of forms of, you know, uh, anger and violence that are harmful and come out in wrongful ways that hurt people, hurt the earth. And so that's absolutely true. But there's also aspects to anger and ferocity that are healthy and that have to do with protection. Um, it's usually a sign that our boundaries have been crossed on some level, personally, or people we love's boundaries have been crossed. And if we love the earth, then our ferocity might be about the beloved earth's boundaries being crossed. And it's uh, and calling it up and feeling it is part of what gives us um, that desire to to take action in our life and to be discerning and 
you know, just because we feel the anger doesn't mean we always, you know, that we're acting on it, but we listen to it ourselves and then we can develop strategies and actions that might make a difference coming from a strategic perspective on what we should speak, what we shouldn't speak, how to act. And then um, five, receive the love of trees is is about love. You know, love's at the core, I think. It's like uh, oxygen. We all need it, but sometimes it feels like there's not enough in ourselves or in the world. And so, and trees, if you've ever been to a forest, you can feel that trees love. I mean, they, their whole community sends nutrients and energy to, to stumps and young trees and old trees. And it's just such a giver and to other species too. And in the field of a forest, it can be easy to learn to love uh, Trees taught me how to love myself. I would apprentice to them when I wasn't loving myself and ask for help. And they they really showed me how to do it and did it for me until I could do it for myself. The last chapter, Dreaming in the Cave Womb, is about dreams, which dreams are really big, listening to dreams. Dreams, I consider, I put them in the wild section because dreams are wild and there are inner wild landscapes coming back to us to guide us. So, you know, in, in order to be truly wild, listening to our dreams and following what their guidance is or steeping ourselves in their mystery is, is central. And so now we've just gone through wild. So you can see the books just chocked full. Like you could spend a whole lot of time just in part one. Part two goes into the soul and spirit journey, the sacred, the transpersonal. And I consider earth holy, but there's also a sense of, you know, just a sacred energy that we can even tap into in the earth and beyond, just just beyond the physical and this journey takes us into that holy longing for the sacred um, in whatever ways we've experienced it. The soul, where I would call a kind of journey of downward darkness, incendence, to get a glimmer of the myth or purpose we're here to live. And also the journey of spirit and connection and oneness and unity and the totality that we, where we can feel, as John Muir says, that everything is hitched to everything else. And I go into the mystery of what we love and ancestors and grief and despair, because when we open our hearts to follow the love, we we open to grief and despair, too. And how can grief and despair be holy and how can we go into it as a place to open up to this this transpersonal and receive visions and possibilities? I talk about uh, making a pearl of our vulnerability because the soul and spirit journey, our love and longing and our grief definitely also take us to our personal wounds and tender places. And in those wounds are often pearls or gifts or powers, but it can be hard to glean them because we usually are kind of protected from going there. But if we're strong enough, and if we've been doing the other practices in the book and building up, we've developed the kind of wholeness to be able to stay present with what hurts long enough to possibly see the gift or possibility that might live there too. And then going into darkness, uh, descending into the mysterious darkness, which is having a relationship with the mystery. This is a piece that's a little different from normal yoga, which is often about the light. Sometimes we talk about the dark night of the soul in terms of getting through the dark and getting into the light, which, you know, has value. But in wild yoga, I I kind of steep us in the darkness more because the deep imagination comes alive there and visions and possibilities. And what if we stay a little longer? Could there be something beautiful about the dark as well as terrifying or or difficult the last chapter in holy longing is um, playing our part in the symphony which is kind of bringing it together our part is really like our soul song our note like the thing that we're here to offer 
but in the symphony, how do we feel that in relationship to everything else in the giving? And I even cover the dissonance of the symphony, you know, in the world with like species dying and, and ecosystems dying. How do we still sing our note in a universe, in a, in a world where that's happening? And then a beloved world, we come into giving back, you know, our creative service, which is kind of about, I think the purpose of wild yoga is having this relationship with the mysterious depths of our own wild nature, our dreams, and the natural world so that we can come back in creative service and offer ourselves to the world. And in Beloved World, we talk about that. And it starts with uh, wild arrows, you know, which is like a love affair with the world, a love affair with nature. And I really kind of go over the difference between what I call toxic eroticism, which is sometimes in the world, and like real true wild arrows sourced in our bodies and nature. And then we talk about court the muse in the next chapter, which is a very big part of creative service, is allowing the muse to inspire our giveaway. And how do we have a relationship with the muse? And then uh, prayers in the dark is a kind of a call that I have at this time of planetary challenge and difficulty is going back into the dark earth and listening and grieving and, and dreaming with her, feeling her, inviting her pain and difficulty and our own around what's happening in our world and uh, sourcing ourselves in being able to receive visions for how we might act or be or what might matter most to focus on. And then radical dreaming, which is a practice of dreaming for the world, not not only for ourselves, but actually asking our dreams and incubating our dreams for the purpose of land and species in the world and communities and dreaming the future together, dreaming with the earth. And then the stretch your consciousness, which I take us back to the roots of wild yoga, which is really stretch our consciousness. I mean, that's what all these practices are. They're stretching our consciousness to consider and engage in ways that maybe we've never been invited before or encouraged or even known was possible. And I take us into some more um, stretching our consciousness, like working with shadow, which is everything that's we don't know about that, you know, that's unseen to the ego and even cultural or group shadow, which is sometimes happens when one person in a group sees something like they become the scapegoat and there's, you know, a whole cultural shadow piece. And then I talk about reconciling with the goddess, which has also been in the shadow, the feminine, the power of the archetypal feminine, the power of uh, women, the power of the feminine that lives in all people, regardless of sex or gender. So dialing that energy back up and honoring that, in many ways, the practices of wild yoga are practices of the archetypal feminine, which I consider to be about the womb, about like gestating and and listening and receiving and steeping in darkness, you know, sourcing from those inner depths before we take action, which is um, action is sometimes associated archetypally with a more masculine energy. Um, when when the actions, the masculine energy is sourced in the feminine of this deep kind of listening to all these sources of power, we're brought back into balance. And so reconciling with the goddess, which talks about how people can remember the, the goddess in dreams and how a long time ago, you know, kings were married to the land and and that there was a balance in that. It was not just a doing for oneself. It was a doing that was sourced in in this listening and what's best for the earth and the well-being of all. And then the last chapter, which is become a love warrior for the earth. And that's, again, brings in a, what I would call a, a, a healthy archetypal masculine energy, which is also a feminine energy, you know, this taking, taking action, being guardians of the earth, being love warriors. I love putting the idea of love and warriors together because sometimes people don't realize that warriors can be love warriors coming from a place of love and protection and care and, and sometimes part of that is um, 
sourcing ourselves and being able to uh, see the greenwashing that happens and the false solutions that are presented and really um, looking at what will really make a difference to the earth and the species and the well-being of the future generations of all species. So then we bring it together in the conclusion, wild yoga, co-creation and revolution, you know, radical change, bringing down what doesn't work and creating systems and possibilities that do all through this wild yoga practice of listening. Wow, that is incredible. It sounds like your journey, your personal journey also parallels this book, right? And so you had to do a lot of your own internal work and exploration to really understand yourself and the world and your relationship with that and spirit and soul. And so it sounds like you brought that all into this book and also take others on a journey, a wild yoga journey. And you've mentioned so many things here about anger, trauma, mother earth, so much that I appreciate your take on an interpretation because a lot of times I think we, based on our learning, what we've learned from our parents, our clergy, our professors, those around us, sometimes we become conditioned by their learnings and what we take on and forget about what is it that we truly adhere to or believe or understand. So what I really appreciate about the book is it takes you on this exploration to explore that and also explore the world and really take that in and take a really deep dive into the woods so, so to speak, so in the wilderness, and when you were talking about, you know, have you ever been out to the woods? And yes, when I was a child, my stepmom used to take us out to the redwoods all the time. Yeah, because I lived in Santa Cruz, California. So we had a large pop- population of redwoods. And so we would go out there and go hiking as children. And so and to me at that time, it was a little scary. It was a little dark because there was like a bunch of trees and there was a lot of shadows and there was a lot of, you know, it was, it was moist and it was a little cold and it was, and so you're traveling through there and you're really trying to gain your balance and get grounded in the wilderness. That took some time to understand Mm -hmm. those surroundings. So, and I remember that feeling and I love also as you're a young child and I, I have a good friend who had a similar experience who is also an author where she talked about where she found her space as a child and going out into the wild and getting up and climbing into those trees and sitting there for hours, watching the world, experiencing the world and reading. And so I love that you experienced that as well. And then also tapping into those dreams. And I've had an experience with that too, as I was getting my doctorate. There is a professor, his name is Dr. Stanley Kripner, and he is well known for dream work. And I would sit at his dream work table during our residential conferences so we could explore our dreams. So as you touch on a lot of these different things in your book, I'm touching on things in my own life and I'm doing my own exploration. And that's why this book is so nice because it takes you on a different type of journey. And that journey is so deep. It gets us to a deeper level of really understanding not just ourselves, but our earth 
and how we engage with that, how we understand that more importantly, and what our part in the world and being is with the earth, right? So anyway, thank you so much for going through that explanation of your book and every chapter. So my next to last question is, can you explain a little bit more about wild yoga itself and how it differs than other yogas? And I think I got an understanding of that. But if you could put that into like a one minute explanation, how would you explain wild yoga versus others? Yeah, wild yoga practices to help us come into our body, love ourselves, connect with the natural world around us as an extension of our own body, and stretch our consciousness to all these other intelligences and things I've been talking about. And it's it's actually different from mainstream yoga now in our culture, which actually is synonymous with yoga asana. People say I'm going to yoga, and it usually just means yoga asana, which is the practice of physical postures of yoga, which I do include in my book, and it is important. I consider it like one of the branches on the tree. Like, yeah, this is important, but it's not the whole tree. And my yoga is kind of taking us back to the whole tree. Uh, a long time ago, um, when yoga originated, it was viewed as a philosophy to help us become more truly who we are and get to know the world around us and be in relationship with the world. And it was also originally about helping us connect to the wild and coming into our own wild nature. I believe that's why most poses were named after animals and, you know, bringing us into our animal body. So I'm, um, I'm connecting us to something ancient and I'm also bringing something that's completely new that's coming through my own personal journey with these wrestling with these questions and on my own journey, becoming who I am and helping others become who they are and teaching people and guiding people and getting to know the natural world around us. Well, thank you for that explanation. I really love that you made that analogy of asana as like one of the branches. And I think that from all different perspectives and all different professions, such as the profession that I come from, which is the clinical psychology profession and and a very humanistic approach to that and how I practice is that there's not just one factor. There's not just one branch that is the totality or makes us right. And so there are many branches, so to speak. And so I love that you bring the idea of the different branches into this book as well. So thank you for that. Now, as we come to the close of the interview, my last question is, if you were to leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Start wherever you are. Whatever's happening inside you right now, whatever feelings, even resistances, whatever's going on is something. Somebody once said, nothing's happening. And I thought, hmm, that's pretty hard for nothing to happen. Sometimes the journey happens at subtle levels. So if it's not loud or big, we might miss it. But the subtleties happening inside us, the emotions arising are something. Start wherever you are. Listen within your body. What's happening in there? What are your longings? What are your what are your feelings? And spend time in nature, even if you feel disconnected. I felt disconnected when I first was in nature, like I was visiting this beautiful thing that I wasn't a part of. But that can change um, through the practices. You can come into feeling what I think is the greatest thing is a sense of belonging with nature, that we're a part of it and in relationship. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining me on the Core Women podcast today. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me. It's been really fun to be here. Absolutely. You can follow Rebecca Wildbear on Instagram at wildbearyoga, on Facebook at Rebecca.wildbear, on Twitter at 
rwildbear1 and at her website, which is www.rebeccawildbear.com. You can also find her book at Amazon. Thank you for joining us on the Core Women Podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Core Women and on Twitter at Core Women One. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great. Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love, and Money Collective, a core women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.